This is episode 62 of Alohomora for December 21st, 2013. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Aloha Mora. I am Eric Skull. I'm Michael Harley. And I'm Kat Miller. And our guest today is a familiar voice, I would think, if you listen to any of the podcasts on the MuggleNet podcast family. It is Gina from Hogwarts Radio. Hello, Gina. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Hi. Um, uh, Gina, tell us about yourself. Oh, Gina. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's bad. Gina, tell us about yourself. What house are you? Hasn't she been on the show before? I was on once. Yeah. Oh. Well, but never it, was, mind. I, it was a while ago. Well, re- refresh our listeners' memory. Uh, I am a Slytherin. I am on Hogwarts Radio for anyone who is unfamiliar to my voice. Um, happy to be here? Extremely happy to be here, of course. Good. I, I'm very excited to be here. And as usual, we want to remind our listeners to read Chapter 24 of Goblet of Fire, read a Skeeter's Scoop before listening to this episode for full listening enjoyment. But before we move on to that chapter, we're going to look back at some comments from the previous week's chapter, Chapter 23, The Yule Ball, um, one of the major points in Goblet of Fire. And we're going to start off with a comment from Pigwigin, which was uh, left on our forums. And this one was about the great debate between Cho versus Ginny. Um, And Pigwigin had this to say, A lot of people dislike Cho because of the way Joe wrote her in Order of the Phoenix. At the time of this book, she's 16, and her boyfriend was murdered by the greatest wizard of the age right before the term ended. If you weren't crying and suffering from depression or post-traumatic stress, I'd actually think something was wrong with you. She gets jealous over Hermione because at that moment she really needs the attention and the comfort, and all Harry can talk about is Hermione. I'd be a little annoyed too, to be honest. Cho thinks she's found someone whom she can confide in about her experience because Harry was there, and he, being a 15-year-old boy, isn't really sure how to handle it. He's actually incredibly insensitive towards her feelings. He had been suffering from night terrors and flashbacks, so you'd think he'd be a bit more sensitive, and this is where I think Joe tossed all of that aside to show that Ginny is obviously the better choice. This was a major discussion on the show last week, and I wanted to bring this up again just to see what this set of hosts' opinions are, um, because I have very strong feelings about the Cho Ginny thing. Um, but what do you guys think about this? Um, this comment is mainly about book five. I don't That's think okay. we'll be there. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't <laughs> think we'll be there in like two years, and Ginny doesn't come into play for another year or another book. No, she she's in play in book five. Not as a romantic interest. She does end up going mm, with them. She she's, does end up going she's kind of a silent killer in book five, which I like. <laughs> um, she, I, I agree. I, I sort of agree with Pigwidgeon in this um, comment, but at the same time, it's it's less. Harry is they're they're showing Harry's. Um, I don't know if this is a word insensitivity towards Cho. I think it's more just showing that Harry just is is not he doesn't know how to deal with his feelings on this. Um it's it's not it's less about the girls, more about Harry's 
ability to feel like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pretty much. That's true. <laughs> okay, no. so wait. Um, now, last week, I guess I'm missing something here. Were people battling Joe, Cho, and, and, and Ginny? Yeah, the there, last... there was quite an extensive discussion that uh, mm-hmm. Alyssa and Caleb and... and uh, Logan and uh, who was the other host? Noah. That week. Noah, yeah. They... I, can't, I can't think why ever, like, because it wasn't, I mean, it's seriously Yule Ball, but really there's, that's a couple There's bucks. always a big Ginny vs. Cho uh, debate. Like, no matter when or where, what book you're you're discussing, there's always a big Ginny Cho I, I'm, I'm all for Ginny. I'm so glad when that got kicked off the ground. Um, I've been hoping for it since book two, I guess it's fair to say. Although she did wish him good luck on the trip platform in book one. She was a little too young. <laughs> you, you know where the- little too young. A little too young there. But uh, I've been, I had been hoping for that. And in book six, when it came to fruition, that was just my dream come true. I think the conversation started when they were talking about um, who they're going to the ball with. Mm-hmm. Which I think was at the uh, was at the beginning of the last chapter or the very end of the chapter before that chapter twenty one. Well, and at some point, uh, Ron had said, "You should just take Ginny. Maybe right. I can convince you." Exactly. Yeah. So that's where the yeah. whole conversation came from. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, Harry wanted to take Cho. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's at this point though they're all still so young. We talked about this too. Like Harry's fourteen. All the other champions are seventeen. Like he really needs to grow up a little bit more. And when, you know, when they're both, when both he and Ginny are older, they're a better match for each other. And in book, would be at this book age. four, what is, is Ginny 12? Yeah. 13. She's 13. Is she? Harry's, mm, Harry's 14. She's two years. Oh no, she's no, one she's year. Not. You're right. She's one year. Mm-hmm. Still 13. But that doesn't mean that she's 13. When's her birthday? She was, she was born on August 11th, 1981. So a couple days after Harry, um, you know, in the month. Yeah, that's but, true. Uh, oh, about a month, days. a month and a year behind. No, yeah. a year and a and a few weeks a week. behind. A year and a week, yeah. yeah. So okay. it's safe to say that she's thirteen and he's fourteen. But in book six, when you know he's sixteen and she's fifteen, they're a little. Bit, they're both a little bit older. But I think I think Cho does have, you know, uh, real adult situations thrust upon her. Um, which is not easy to handle. And, and I think in book five, it's very easy to, oh my God, she's blubbing. Like she just won't stop crying. And Harry doesn't know how to deal with it. And they're in the tea shop and he doesn't want to cause a scene. And it's all ridiculously out of hand. But, but I think you guys are right. Like, But I agree I with Pigwidgeon's um, um, thoughts. Sorry to interrupt. I agree with Pigwidgeon's thoughts in this comment where they say, um, Cho just really wanted someone to talk to. And they, she assumed that... Harry would be be the one person in the world who would understand where they, where she was coming from, because Harry saw it happen and yeah. was was close somewhat close with with Cedric, like she yeah. was in a different aspect, well, but still his failure to open up to her at that scene in that time is you know worthy of discussion and yes. you know I agree he should have been more open to her but but that's a I mean it's still a book away so we should probably move on yeah from Elvis Gaunt on the main sites. Uh, it was said, we see Rita for the first time in her beetle form when Harry and Ron are overhearing Hagrid and Madame Maxime. How could you guys miss that? Elvis Gaunt, 
There are a lot of things we miss. You would be well, surprised. Well, you know what's <laughs> funny? It's, I was listening to that episode, um, you know, because I released last week, and I was yelling at <laughs> my, you know, at my um, speakers or whatever because they weren't noticing it. And then after I finished, I texted all four of them and was like, how did you miss this? How did you miss this? I was <laughs> yelling luckily, at them. We have listeners like Elvis Gaunt right. who are ever so kind to point these things out so that we can fix that right. and remedy that. But yes, we do see Rita for the first time. And there were some interesting points brought up about Rita's first appearance as a Beatle. Um, so, uh, somebody, uh, Archduke Severus was the one on the main site who mentioned uh, what would have happened if Rita had actually overheard a different conversation, that being Snape's and Karkaroff's, um, which was very close question. by. She does pick prime conversations to overhear. And of course, the conversation she overhears is the setup for this chapter that we're going to discuss. In yes, it's moments. a fairly important point. <clears throat> no, I, yeah. think, I think that the reason she was probably sticking around Hagrid is because she knows that Hagrid's close with Harry. And I think that her ultimate goal is anything to do with Harry. There was also an interesting comment um, by Olivia Underwood on the main site, uh, because there was a little discussion about uh, sortings last week. And uh, Olivia elaborated uh, with the sorting hat saying, I do wonder whether Rowling realized as the books progressed the obvious flaw that it goes against her values concerning stereotypes. I've always struggled to... to agree that the idea to agree with the idea of the sorting hat it could actually be a criticism though on old traditions and how society must allow social changes to take place i think she surprised us but i have a, a sneaky feeling that rolling also surprised herself uh this topic came up just because i i think partially because of um uh olivia was discussing on the main site uh racial prejudices and th- uh, things like and the differences differences in the amongst characters and then she kind of went to that and this is a conversation we've been having constantly um throughout the show but i thought this was just a really interesting observation especially just because it's the idea that rolling perhaps caught herself in what she was doing do you i i wanted to bring this up because i was i'm what's what are you confused on gina um sorry as as the new person sorry to interrupt Fine. i was just confused as to whom this comment was about like which Um, character i should say i'm sorry i'm trying to uh, i see i I listened to the show last night and i i fell asleep so i don't remember (laughs) oh that bodes well not that it it wasn't that it wasn't good i was just tired that's okay Um, i wasn't on it you can call it boring if you want (laughs) it was not boring i know i'm um but um I don't remember who it was specifically referring probably, to. Probably, uh, probably Alyssa brought it up. Her Caleb. Probably. I was just uh, missing the context of, of it. I mean, something I wanted to say too about the Sorting Hat and, and houses, and look, we get up in arms about you know what each house re- represents, but really the idea of sorting is also meant to be a good thing for the students to really give them a focused group where they can hone their skills, whatever they may be. And that's really what the the houses and the sorting is all about. It's not just, you know, smart kids in this house because all the dumb ones will weigh you down. It really is, <laughs> it really is, you know, individual focus, unique learning, and it's supposed to make it a better environment for and yourself, not divide you. Hufflepuff. I'm just kidding. Oh. That's a racial slur. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't hear it. I was talking because you were interrupting. So I know. Funny. I'm really good at interrupting. I'm sorry. 
All right. So for our last comment, we have a audio boo submission by Hufflepuffskeen. Hi, this is Leah or Hufflepuffskeen on the forums. I want to say welcome back again to Noah. Yay. Um, and then I also wanted to add, um, Caleb mentioned Hermione's transformation or her sassiness, as I'm sure he would say, um, as we see her leading up to her big moment at the old ball. And this really made me think of many of Jane Austen's heroines. Um, Joe has made clear her love of Austen and Austen's influence in her writing and characterization just shines. So characters like Lizzie Bennet, Emma Woodhouse, and Marianne Dashwood in Austen go through pretty significant changes in their outlook and even personality over the course of their story and eventually become the people they need to be to take on big changes. In Austen, this typically means marriage or falling in love and not necessarily overcoming the most powerful Dark Lord ever, but... Um, the I think that these characters and their their storylines may have been an inspiration for Joe's characterization of Hermione in this book and then later on as well. I also wanted to mention the connection um, to the idea brought up in in by many members of the forum that um, Harry needed to pursue Cho to know what he didn't want and that um, Jenny would be a better companion for him. I think this can be said for Ron and Hermione as well, as we see for Hermione here with Crumb, for Ron with Lavender. Um, and this um, also has a connection to Austin, because Lizzie, Emma, and Marianne all go through this. They, they all encounter possible love interests who turn out not to be, quote-unquote, the one. Um, and so in both Joe's and Jane's writing, they detail their character's emotional development in such moments. Um, because it's important to see how people change and how they respond to their environment and the challenges that life brings to make a realistic story. And while um, Joe is writing in a fantasy genre and so not a, is not as realistic as Jane's um, literary world is, uh, I think that still her characterization and how we come to understand these characters is very realistic. I also have to say that I'm certain that Jane Austen would have loved to read uh, this Potter chapter in particular as a masterful description of a very drama-filled ball, as many of Jane Austen's own um, literary balls were. So thanks. I, I can see that this, this is very a very good analysis because it is true that Austen's uh, heroines uh, do end up going through lots of trials and tribulations and end up changing completely um, kind of as people and seeing the men in their life is significantly different. And I mean, that's, of course, Hermione goes through that here with Ron. Um, and I, I think uh, Hufflepuffskeen is right to mention too, that um, the things Hermione goes through, um, even with relationships are what kind of prepare her for what she needs to do in future, um, even in battle um, and her smarts and how she develops her worldview. So, and we've talked about this before too, in terms of um, her evolving view on how she approaches dealing with the house elf rights, um, and how she kind of goes from targeting the house elves to actually targeting the people who oppress the house elves. Um, right. So, so yes, this was a fantastic comment. I wish I could say more on it, but I've been so far distanced from Austin at this point that I, I can't cite specific examples. But uh, thank you, Leah, for bringing this up because it really was. A great analysis and comparison of the two works, especially because yes, Rowling has mentioned before that she takes great joy 
um, in Austin's works and a lot of inspiration, which this chapter does, or the previous chapter does certainly evidence. Well, uh, over on the Alohomora website, we had the poll of the week, and those results are now posted. Uh, just a recap. Um, basically, the question was, we never see the students buying their Christmas presents for each other. Where do they get them? Of course, the winner was all of the above, which <laughs> is, is kind of... Now, that's funny because as a poll option, you really shouldn't include all of the... It's not a standardized test for crying out loud, but it's not it's not a standardized test. But so just to reiterate here, all of the above means... <clears throat> here are the options. They buy them off screen in Hogsmeade. They buy them ahead of time during summer. Their parents buy their friends' presents for them and just mail them. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. And there are mail-order catalogs in magazines. Now, that mail-order catalog was the second-place winner, so one could say that was the definitive answer reached by everybody. Mm -hmm. That was one answer, and not all of them. I would say so. Well, and, and Alyssa mentioned on the show last week, and um, I believe uh, somebody on the page, I think it was Pigwigeon, mentioned that there is a reference by Hermione that she does order gifts from uh, from a mail-order catalog, um, possibly through the Daily Profit or something like that. Uh, so that is pretty definitive, I think. That's Because the thing is, that the, I think the pondering comes from the fact that the um, first and second years can't even go to Hogsmeade. Um, right, that's true. Buy presents. But Harry has bought Ron presents in first and second year. Um, and for those of you who don't know, the poll of the week is a new feature that we're doing. Basically, every episode, we come up with so many questions that we want to ask you guys, ask our listeners, and you know, get your opinions on. That we, But we just don't have time to ask them all. So every week um, after the episode is released, we're going to be releasing this poll of the week. And it's basically a second question of the week. And we're going to be reading out you know, your responses on the following show in our recap, just like we did today. And... Um, yeah, so you should start checking out alohomora.mugglenet.com and voting in those polls. So to wrap up our recap this week, we are going to go into the podcast question of the week responses from last week. So the question last week was, in this chapter, Dumbledore mentions to Karkaroff finding a room full of chamber pots that he never knew about. Can we assume that this is the room of requirement? And if so, did Dumbledore really not know about the room at this point? Or is he not being completely truthful with Karkaroff, thereby partially cloaking his school secrets, just like Durmstrang's headmaster? Okay. We got a lot of responses, as you can imagine. But our first one here is from Mike Kazmierski. He says, I like to think that the magic and enigma of Hogwarts transcends even Dumbledore himself. Hogwarts is so old and wrapped in magic, both ancient and modern, that it is impossible to fully comprehend. I've always thought of Hogwarts as another character in the book. Things like trick staircases, secret passages, secret passages, peeves, and the collection of talking portraits, the ghosts, its grand architecture, and even its motto, never tickle a sleeping dragon, all seem to suggest an entity that is mischievous yet grand and powerful. I don't believe the Marauder's Map even shows all of the Hogwarts secrets. I think the castle's secrets change and evolve over time, and even then it was limited to the extent to which the four had explored the castle. So, um, well, that's actually definitive that the Marauders map won't have on it stuff that wasn't already known by the Marauders. Uh, I think that's been said right. at one point yes. or another. But but uh, I also like the idea that, well, maybe Dumbledore was 
perplexed and didn't know, you know, that it was the room of requirement specifically. Uh, I know that the, they kind of questioned it last week because Dumbledore, like Harry swears that Dumbledore gives him a small wink. Um, mm-hmm. And some of them were wondering if that wasn't just because he makes the joke about how he's got a full bladder. Um, <laughs> well, somebody has to know about the room because who would empty the chamber pots? Ooh. You got to think Magic. the room would empty them. The room, please God, the room would do it. <laughs> but that makes it that that makes it the room of requirement. If it's not the room of requirement, somebody's got to go and empty those at some point. Well, I hear the master. Oh. I definitely think it was the room of requirement, it's, and I definitely think I definitely think that Dumbledore knew it was the room of requirement. I don't. I don't think the room of requirement is as secret as. We want to believe it. I, well, I think I think a very good. limited amount of people know about it. Well, a very limited it's, amount of people. Well, it's, but yeah, the, it's proven that more people know about it than you'd prefer because when Harry goes to store his Half Blood Prince book, you know, basically that room appears, which is everywhere anybody's ever tried to store something. Oh, um, right. And um, here's ex- a good. Dis- I'm I'm sorry. Here's a good like kind of crackpot theory. Dumbledore had to not, um, this. Makes no sense. Dumbledore knew about it because, um, oh my gosh, Aberforth knew about it to connect the 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 bar to the room of requirement. Well, that didn't exist before uh, they needed it in in Deathly Hallows. Uh, Neville in mm. Deathly Hallows talks. Neville's in Deathly Hallows talks about conversing with the room or with Hogwarts. It's like Hogwarts wants us to fight oh. back um, to arrange that tunnel be out, you know, which, constructed. Which does Draft. lend credence to Mike's uh, uh, suspicion that Hogwarts really is more of a almost a character, which I have always viewed. Yeah, Hogwarts I completely past. agree. With I, I, I agree do with agree that. with that's Mike on great, that. That's a great analysis, and I think in a way, just be a little sidetracked, but I, that's always kind of why I was disappointed with Hogwarts in the films because it never really feels. Magical, wholly and completely alive to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, it like, feels. What about that? It time feels more like a prop. When the staircase changes <laughs> when the staircases change conveniently for the plot, and only then. <laughs> Agreed. It feels more like a prop, less like a character. Yeah, yeah, and definitely, and and and, and they kind of tried. You know, in the last movie when the vines are like grabbing the giants, and I was like, ah, oh, yeah, nice, no. nice, nice try, but no. I still feel in the last in the last two movies. They wanted to create more, create more, but it was still a plot, plot piece and a prop. A set and, piece. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It yeah. wasn't what it should have been. All right, so we have one more comment here from Watch Sky One Eighty One. It says, "I wholly subscribe to the notion that Dumbledore is telling this story for Harry's benefit, and indeed guesses more about it than he lets on. He is remarkably close to the mark in what he says it does. As such, he definitely wants Harry to investigate." I don't know what Dumbledore does know about the magic of the Room of Requirement, but unlike the Chamber of Secrets, which I see being used as an example of Dumbledore's fallibility with regards to the hidden magic of Hogwarts, the room is clearly widely known. Not only are there hundreds of students who access the Room of Hidden Things, or who may or may not know of the room because of this incarnation, but also it is not stated that it is known in its true capacity to the house elves in general. I can't recall if Dobby alone is in his knowledge of it or not. So, there you go. And uh, also, there's a quote uh, from J.K. Rowling. I think it was from when Book Five was coming out, where she mentions uh, Dumbledore. This specific comment that Dumbledore makes, 
Um, I was trying to find it just now, but I can't. But she does mention that uh, I think we'll be seeing a room that close, careful readers will realize has been alluded to in, in book yeah, four. Yeah, I remember that. Um, that's too. this room. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's this room. So it's it's kind of really cool how it's just casually hint dropped. Totally. So, it's, um, uh, so uh, we can definitively say that as for the as far as the audience goes, it's definitely for our benefit. Um, I, yeah. I, I am kind of of the mindset of watch sky here that it Dumbledore was telling it because he knew Harry was an earshot and he was hoping he would go explore it more. I don't think Dumbledore knew the full extent of the room. Like you guys were saying, because mm-hmm. he doesn't know about the room of hidden things. He just knows it as the chamber pot room. And that leads us everybody into chapter 24 of goblet of fire. Rita Skeeter's scoop. Hagrid. Chapter 24. Hagrid, that's enough. Read a Skeeter scoop. Hagrid, get out here. You're just being... Oh, hello, Headmaster. Okay, guys. So, uh, winter break is just wrapping up. And it turns out that in spite of their argument, Ron and Hermione are speaking to each other. They seem to have reached uh, an unspoken agreement which allows them to remain civil. Uh, and Harry is happy. I think we're all pretty happy that we don't have to deal with, you know, any more of the, the tension between them, you know, just in this way. Um, but it does kind of curb Ron's behavior um, because she's talking about once they let her in on uh, the discussion that Hagrid had with Madame Maxine that they overheard, um, you know, she's talking about how this prejudice against giants is just ridiculous and it's just like werewolves and it's unfounded and all this other stuff. And Ron wants to correct her. You, you can tell that he's about to make a joke about, yeah, no, giants actually crush people, Hermione. Like, they're actually quite terrifying. But he stops short of making that comment and kind of just, when she's not looking, he turns to Harry and, like, shakes his head. Um, so Hermione's beginning to have an effect on Ron and... I felt that it was a, a little bit of an adorable way to open the chapter. Yeah, I like it. And, you know, um, I keep thinking of this every time I read another chapter and I look at the date and I look at when the timeline of the book is happening. And we are so close to right on. And we have been for this entire book that it's kind of exciting. Like, mm-hmm. I'm picturing, you know, this chapter takes place, um, at least at the beginning, on Boxing Day, the day after Christmas. That is exactly a week from today. Yeah. Which is just really cool. I don't know. Yeah, it just, yeah. that keeps happening, and it makes me kind of all giddy. It's like an extra closeness to, to, to the source material. It I mean, is. This, chapter, this chapter does span a week or two, um, but at the beginning of it, I agree, it's kind of, like, it's kind of like growing up with Harry, if you're the same age he was, which only happened once, but now it's like, this is the second best thing. It's like being in December when you're reading a book, and it's December. Right. Love of course, that. just wait, because like in just a few chapters, it's going to be like, and it's February now. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's why I'm enjoying it while I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is definitely a magical time for us and in, in, in reading this series. Um, Harry is having a less than magical time uh, trying to decipher this egg. And the, like, the thing is, now that it's past Christmas, <clears throat> and this is a great point from Joe, I think we've all experienced this. Uh, February 24th, which is the date of the second task is that, that it's going to be, you know, seems a lot closer on this side of Christmas. Yeah, it's, um, it's, two, so, it's two months away. It's still two months away. It's still like eight, what, eight, nine weeks, something like that. But um, he decides that he's going to actually spend some time and uh, try and crack the egg. So 
it doesn't go as well as he 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 plans, and he <laughs> spends a couple nights, you know, with the egg in his dorm room, smoking some cigarettes, buying a few drinks, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, he can't uh, can't crack it. Actually, <laughs> he tries at one point asks it a question like it's a magic eight ball. He shakes it, he opens it up. Uh, he tries shouting over top of it, and he even tries. Wait, where does he get that idea to shake it and ask it a question? <laughs> You're just trying everything. Is all. Yeah, I think brilliant. he just thought that it would talk back. Maybe if he tried There's to communicate, because no, maybe like if you don't ask it a question, it gets angry and shouts. I think at this point, it's because he's had nothing to go on. Mm-hmm. Um, Which you know, they they get basically you rescue this egg. It's your prize from winning the first task, and that's somehow your clue. Like for the next task, I, I mean, I imagine if it were me, I'd always be thinking about the circumstances by which I wouldn't be able to let go of the first <clears> task. I'd be like, a dragon was guarding this egg, so something about guarding, something about being protective. Although that would actually turn out to be pretty accurate. Um, about the second task. But still, you know, I think it's just really that he's out of ideas. Um, but really, guys, the one thing that he's not going to do is take Cedric's advice. Um, Cedric was kind enough to tell him to go take a bath, and <laughs> Harry is having <laughs> You stink, none of it. dude. Take a bath. Yeah, you that stink, has man. to be the weirdest way... To approach someone like and it's funny because I, I like that they kept that awkwardness in the movie like they barely changed the line right. yeah because <laughs> like, it's so weird like why on earth would Cedric think to be like take a bath I'm this is me being nice to you yeah. also I stole it's, your girlfriend it's so obscure <laughs> though yeah this, yeah, this is when like this is that th- those few times where you're like I just want to slap Harry like I, yeah. I love I love our main character. I love Harry. This is one of those times where you're like, Harry, get off your high horse. Listen to the man. He's telling you, take a bath. Well, he's a Hufflepuff, and you can always trust a Hufflepuff to to exactly. repay a favor. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, the thing is, Harry doesn't like Cedric because Cedric took Cho to the ball. This is the thing. This is why he doesn't like it, and he says this is stupid advice. Take a bath. It's so vague. Well, um, and I like that he even says that he thinks that Cedric told him that specifically to make him look bad in front of Cho. And I'm like, <laughs> there's like, some is mega he taking a bath in front of here. Cho? Because Cedric doesn't even know that Harry likes Cho. Right. So, yes. for God's sake. Yes. It's, yes, it's unfair because they all play Quidditch. It's unfair to think that, you know, that Harry. Anyway, so Harry's in his head about this, and and that's just that's the very very beginning of the chapter. He's decided not to take Cedric's advice, but he's gotten nowhere on his own. Um, so the start of term rolls around, and something very 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 interesting happens. On their first day, they're going down to care of magical creatures, and they're in front of Hagrid's hut, but Hagrid is not around. Instead, we meet Professor Grubbly Plank. And, uh, guys, if you haven't already heard Jim Dale's uh, voice for Grubbly Plank, like all of his other voices, is is really, really amusing. But she is their new interim mag- magical creatures teacher. And, you know, Harry and Ron are kind of stumped. It's unexpected. And they ask her, you know, Ron's first question, what's wrong with Hagrid? Where is he at? And she just says Hagrid is indisposed. She's basically like and... STFU. Like... <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And, well, like... They badger her because she's leading them uh, over to the forest, and at one point she just stops listening. She pretends that she doesn't hear Harry. Like, well, all right then. But, I mean, I think they should just take the answer. I mean, she is a professor. I don't know 
if she like was just brought onto the grounds or if she was just kind of one of those teachers who was at Hogwarts doing something else that none of our students take. But for whatever reason, she is an authority figure and they should just kind of let it no, drop. No, she like, had retired. Yeah, oh. I think she was just kind of brought back because they needed someone in a in a pinch. She's a substitute. Yeah. Yep. Well, in that case, it's certainly she traveled pretty quickly, considering Rita Skeeter's article probably just came out today. That's why I <laughs> tend to think that she was already on the grounds, but it doesn't matter. Um, essentially, she takes them over to the forest, past the uh, horses, which I feel bad for Madame Maxime's horses. They're shivering. Uh, you know, it's a little cold for them. But she takes them to the edge of the forest where, you know, standing tethered is a unicorn. It is a large unicorn. Uh. And it is said that it is so white that it made the snow around it look gray. That's crazy. That's so cool. Cue, cue, cue the girls going, ooh. I want yeah, it for g- reasons. The girls <laughs> all say, ooh. And here's here's actually one of the big points that I want to talk about for this chapter. Here's a quote from Grubbly Plank. Boys, keep back, uh, barked Professor Grubbly Plank, throwing out an arm and catching Harry hard in the chest. They prefer the woman's touch, unicorns. She and the girls walk slowly forward to the unicorn, leaving the boys standing near the paddock fence, watching. So my question is, guys, what is it about boys that unicorns don't like. And what sort of class is this anyway, <laughs> where the boys have to stand back and watch? So is one. this just a case of but like sugar and spice and everything nice versus snakes and snails and puppy dog tails? Why don't unicorns like boys? And why is Professor Grubbly Plank hating on the boys? I this as a am so glad you brought this up, Eric, because I remember when I read this part, I was like, the hell is this? You were so Southern <laughs> right there, dude. I was so upset. I was so upset because I, I, I did. I felt so bad that, I, like, if I was there, I was like, "Well, I don't get to pet the unicorn." Yeah. <laughs> High five, Gina. That's such crap. High five. Boop, boop. High five. We get to touch the unicorn cat. Girls yeah. Boys drool. Oh yeah. Woo! the root. <laughs> so this is some kind of cosmic I just really payback. Like to celebrate my this house. is some kind of cosmic payback for all the errors that the boys will ever fa- give to women, like Harry and Cho, and basically you know, the ball. What Ron did to now, I guess obviously there's a plot point to it um, where the boys then are you know among themselves, and so Harry and Ron are able to be bullied by Draco, who knows what's going on, who knows why Hagrid. Um, isn't at work but did you guys think there was anything about that unicorn thing or is that just kind of like hey whatever well the other big thing about it is that it immediately turns the girls to grubbly plank's side um so that when harry's like does anyone want hagrid back and all the girls are like no god no yeah and yeah it, 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 and um so i think that's yeah. kind of the the other purpose is to is to yeah. kind of show that yes hagrid is and you know this is something we've talked about quite a bit but Hagrid, I I almost feel like if Grubbly Plank and Hagrid taught together, the class could actually be good. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's true. Because Grubbly Plank has a really great sense of, like, kind of the more calm creatures that are still interested, but she still knows how to make them interesting. And Hagrid kind of goes to the other extreme. But he also, I mean, admittedly, he does know how to make, I, I think one of his best lessons on record is the hippogriff lesson. 
Um, mm, if yeah. you discount what happened with Malfoy, but that was Malfoy's fault. Well, that, um, that, that, not only was it Malfoy's fault, but it then kind of, I mean, it, even in, even the third book, it, it said that Hagrid loses all confidence after that and just gives them really boring creatures. Yeah, then they just start that like, aren't going watching to attack anybody. So, so, yeah, it's, it's basically like Hagrid's own, um, what's the word? Uh, confidence. And that is a huge factor in this chapter, too. Yes. Um, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, Malfoy pulls out this piece of newspaper from his robe pocket because apparently he was planning for just such an opportunity. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to show him what's going on. I got this in my pocket. He pulls it out of his pocket. It is Rita Skeeter's huge, uh, new article called Dumbledore's Giant Mistake. Now, right off the bat, you, you know that, uh, Rita is uh, a bad person, is, is just grabbing at straws because it opens up with Rita mentioning that Hagrid was expelled in his, his was it third year of Hogwarts? And we know that this is because he was falsely accused of opening the Chamber of Secrets. Readers know this by now. So the fact that she's like just trying to make this, this, it's a uh, smash fest of Hagrid and, and Dumbledore, um, you know, is just really, you take it, you're just like, I cannot believe she did this. But Anyway, reading on, um, she basically reveals Hagrid to be a half-giant. She reveals his mother, uh, who was yeah, the giantess Frid Wolfa. Um, she questions Dumbledore's placement of Hagrid at the school. Um, she actually, this was interesting because she, she talked about Mad-Eye Moody. She's like, wow, in comparison to Mad-Eye Moody, who just shoots spells at everybody if they make a sudden movement, he looks tame compared to Hagrid, this half-breed, who is, actually, she calls him a part-human. Um, it's really, really harsh. And, uh, she's actually got some quotes from Draco and, uh, Goyle about how Hagrid, uh, basically is, is so brutal for teaching, you know, for having these, these creatures, you know, in school. And it's really just this, this terrible piece. Uh, she's I really full of poop. Wanna... <laughs> she's full of poop. She's like, you know, just awful. Yeah. Well... People are willing to indulge her. People like Malfoy. People like Goyle. You know, blast-ended scroots don't even have teeth. How could they? <laughs> or flobberworms. Flobberworms. Flobberworms don't even have teeth. You know, Harry Potter. Oh, that out. drove me nuts reading it because honestly, one, flobberworms don't have teeth. Two, they're such a lame creature that, like, why would you even tell someone, like, oh man. I got bit or hurt by one. A like flobberworm. Just, yes. just keep that on DL. Like, just keep if that. a flobberworm hurts you, it's actually like embarrassing. It reveals more about your character. Yes, you just keep that to yourself and don't even <laughs> tell your bestie because that's embarrassing. Especially as a Slytherin, like, no, you gotta tough that out. Right, that's <laughs> like when you trip over the bit. Don't be telling people that. The other Slytherins are, are taking Gra- uh, Goyle out back and beating him for, like, being such a weakling. Totally. Why you gotta admit that? Pachoo, pachoo, no, I pachoo. think that all the Slytherins know what's up, though, and that's the thing, is when they go into this class, um, they all know. They, they Draco and everybody, they all seem to know something that Harry doesn't know. And and this is why, you know, and Dean and Seamus and them are all kind of crowding around when this is happening. And they learn it pretty much all at the same time. But it is really a smear fest. And, and, and this is the same way with all of Rita Skeeter's articles, though, that the more, you know, the smarter a person you are, the quicker you'll see right through them. Like knowing that flobberworms don't have teeth. Oh, that's an invalid source. You know, that is a actually a lie or, or happenstance or, you know, circum- circumstantial, you know, comment and it's really just meant to smear somebody it's meant to achieve a political end and it's gossip is really what but, it amounts to 
but I I have to say my 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 um questioning of that of the flabberworm comment which you you just brought up like for the school age kids is the fact that like parents read the the, the daily prophet they read they read this paper why wouldn't the parents just be like okay this this kid got bit by quote unquote bit by a flabberworm well the largest really? the larger the larger issue is that she's playing on people's fear that they apparently have of giants and this is the thing is there's this history, you know, the historical piece in here about how giants actually were responsible for some of the most brutal mass muggle killings um, and that they joined, you know, who and that, in fact, you know, many of them were killed. But some of them, including Hagrid's mother, apparently escaped and are still at large. She's playing on this fear. She's playing on this prejudice. And agreed. I think it, it really and works. Can I just say I, I completely agree with you that it. It seems to be working, but can I just say in book seven, which I I, I guess I'm hopping, but in book slash movie seven when we see the giants, they don't seem to be doing like this mass amount of damage. Yes, they do do damage to the castle and and some of its inhabitants and and all that, but like it doesn't seem like it's just this bloodbath that the giants are just you know. Well, uh, I, I don't know about that. I, mean, I would disagree Hagrid, with that. Hagrid, dis- yeah, the way point, Hagrid describes his encounter five. with them in Order of the Phoenix, they're like ripping each other's bodies apart. Like well, <laughs> each other, yes. There, there's civil war with them, but it doesn't seem. It, it, I don't know. It didn't seem like when they were taking on the castle, it was just this hostile takeover. Well, I don't know. I may be forgetting ba- things. You can't base it on movie canon, though. Well, and I think I think I, I may be forgetting things. Go, yes. I think what the issue is is that because they are they, they're uh, I guess a less uh, the wizards would consider them a less developed society because they're they just hang out in the wild and just mm-hmm. communicate with each other. That Voldemort takes advantage of that fact and just you and kind of he because he always voldemort's always gone for creatures of lesser intelligence he always takes advantage of them well they're easy um, to control yeah they're easy to control well, because they're, they don't they're big they don't have they're massive kind of, uh, yeah the, yeah sorry go on oh no no you're fine the, it's just the two attributes that are giants are huge you know ginormous and stupid and that's why hagrid's tale which i believe in the chapter hagrid's tale i think it's called um in book five is so harrowing because he talks about the months and months and months where the rival Death Eaters, or their rivals, the Death Eaters, are trying to recruit the giants and bring in the presence. And the fact that you have to wait, like you can't reason with giants by using words. You have to show them like a reward system to get them to move. Giants are terrifying. And in fact, the, the, the fact that um, Hagrid is alive is a, uh, you know after the events of Book 5 is really a big freaking deal because they are that terrifying. I completely get where Reed is coming from in the way that actual giants are, in fact, a force to be reckoned with. Now, we all know that Hagrid is the complete opposite of that. And he's been raised well and had enough of an environment. And that's the bigger picture here and that comes into play at the end of this chapter the bigger picture is that really it's all about this half-breed craze and even Dolores Umbridge in the next book has this huge thing against half-breeds um but I think this is really the seed of that is that she has ousted Hagrid basically out of revenge for him not giving her any good information on Harry has now caused Hagrid to 
you know, seclude himself in his cabin and has called him out and has questioned Dumbledore's placement of Hagrid at the castle well, and- as a teacher, as a gamekeeper, as everything, simply on the basis of he is related to these terrible creatures. And the thing that struck me in this article is that, um, you know, it says that, and this is a direct quote, it says, as if this were not enough, the Daily Prophet has now unearthed evidence that Hagrid is not, as he has always pretended to be, a pure blood wizard. When did Hagrid ever say that he was a pure a pure blood wizard? Like, I think mm. she's just, I, I agree with everything you just said, Eric. She's just sensationalizing everything and blowing everything out of proportion and making it about things that just aren't true. Plus, I'm fairly certain that there's a very small list of pure blood names and there is, you know, for wizards because there's such a small population of wizards anywhere um, that you should be able to tell just by somebody's name if they're pure blood or not. I mean, you know, as a basis for ruling something out, it's not like there's a whole list of uh, pure blood Hagrids. Wasn't his dad, was his dad a, a muggle or a, a wizard? His dad was a wizard. It was a wizard? Okay, still. So Still, by this time, I, I would think the name Hagrid, which at this point to me seems uncommon, would be very much, you could tell, kind of like the name Malfoy, if it's pure blood or not. Like, yeah, well, there's only so many family trees that are still pure blood. It's all in the adjectives, really, the way that uh, Rita Skeeter says, you know, that Hagrid was able to use his... Uh, unusual, um, you know, persuasive powers uh, to get the care of magical creatures job, and how uh, Hagrid has an unusually close friendship with Harry Potter, you know, who made his mother's uh, kind retreat back into hiding. It's these words that she uses to characterize it, like a questionable, his questionable, um, you know, relationship with Dumbledore really digs deep and it really says nothing in the end. Um, However, the big thing that I don't think is really going to get talked about unless we bring this up is she mentions that Hagrid is experimental breeding uh, the Blessed and Scroots who are fire crabs and manticores. And this is like, you know, tiny little fact. Like I said, I don't think we're going to talk about it unless I brought it up because this actually appears to be the number one thing that, that Rita could actually have something on Hagrid for. The fact that there is this whole department for the regulation and control of experimental breeds, all this other stuff at the ministry, the fact that Hagrid thinks he's above that or doesn't have to, you know, regulate himself in his experimental breeding, the fact that he bred these blast-ended screws, who are, let's be honest, giving these kids some real bruises this school year. I um, I brought just this because up he, on, he thought it was fun. I brought this up on a previous episode when they when Harry I think it's Harry, Ron, and Hermione, or Rita, when she visits Hagrid's cabin, that asks about the breeding, and he doesn't mm-hmm. say anything. He pointedly changes the topic, and I because the thing is, yes, if this article had come out and this and that was the case, Hagrid would be in really, really deep trouble. So I'm I'm wondering if it w- my initial suspicion was that one because the scroots are used in the maze at the end of the tournament that Hagrid was purposefully breeding them on Ministry orders for the Triwizard Tournament, and that that's why he couldn't say anything, because he wasn't supposed to reveal anything about that. Wow. Because um, te- technically... I want to believe that, but wow. I feel like that's well, not but te- real. Because, te- I mean, he bred a, a, what was it, a manticore and a firecrab, and those things are extremely dangerous, but I mean, together, he... Because he, the Scroots are dangerous, but they're not deadly. So he basically made a, cre- a a less deadly version of those two creatures. But that is unbelievable, man. I'm wondering, though, if 
going off of what you were saying, Eric, that instead, maybe, and you know, this, this is a, this, somebody write a fan fiction about this and we'll read it on audio fictions. But I, I'm wondering if this was that Hagrid actually did get in trouble and that Dumbledore somehow stepped in and said, no, 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 no. Maybe we can compromise. That sounds just like Dumbledore. Let, let, but, uh, <laughs> is, is that a promise? Is that a promise that you read it on audio fictions? Because I would totally write a story. Actually, you know what I would write? I would write that the the blast-ended scroot that Harry sees in the third task, not to get too out of uh, you know line here, is that is the actual only surviving scroot that it killed all the other ones, and it won Survivor. It won, like, scroot Survivor <laughs> and won... The, the honor of being in the third in the last as task a, as but, a villain. But I do um, I do think that Hagrid's secrecy around it actually does have to do with the fact that he's covering for the tournament itself because the ministry, yes, would have gotten on his case if he was breeding things like just You want to think that, knowledge. but at the same time as his as as record shows in my opinion Hagrid can't keep a secret worth anything that's not so. i mean that is true 99% of the time but i'm with michael on this one i definitely think that it it, it was about the tournament well i never considered that and now that that option has been brought up i'm like wow that's amazing like it is or, amazing i want yeah. i want that to be real <laughs> like the, i guess yeah. the the cynicism in me is like no, it's Hagrid just like a dragon. Is... It's just like having Norbert, though. That was legit taken away. He actually got that egg without. But he took. Approval. He got that taken away. But at the same time, the next time he got dragons, which was the tournament, he was like, "Harry, come on and see my dragons." Like <laughs> he he couldn't dragon, hold it together. Dragon, dragon. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, so regardless, um, that was you know a point. It is brought up in Rita Skater's article, but she, because she focuses on his lineage so hardcore. And comes down so hard on Hagrid, you know, for that reason. Um, it's overall a smash piece about Hagrid and Dumbledore, but it kind of protects him the way that she doesn't focus on what is probably the biggest piece of evidence against Hagrid being, you know, at school in front of these kids. Um, so guess what? Uh, the class ends, and guess what? The girls loved it. <laughs> Parvati Patil says... I hope she stays. That's more what I thought Care of Magical Creatures would be like. Proper creatures, like unicorns, not monsters. Weak sauce. She's a hopeless. I, this That comment, like, made me hate Parvati Patil <laughs> the most out of, like, anyone in this series. Because anytime she's in a class where people are like, Oh, girlies, like, you're the best in this. She's she's all over well, it. She's definitely the ultimate this... girly girl, and we only see her like Ugh. a dozen times, and you can get probably for moments like these too, right? Yeah, yes, exactly. it drives it's me nuts. And, like, and well, yeah, big... Parvati and Lavender change tack a lot. I mean, like when they go to, you know, when they go to um, Ferenz's first divination class in order, they're they're like, oh, we miss Professor Trelawney. Oh, but he's so hot, and then he starts. <laughs> yeah, he starts it's telling like, them that they're all like. It, like the, all of their previous knowledge of divination is just BS, and then they're like, "Oh, we don't like him anymore, but he's still so hot." And it's like, but at the yeah. same time, like, I have to like rationalize. Like, we have to have this like kind of weak character to to promote the Ginnies in in the series. <laughs> well, my my point here, I mean, doesn't doesn't she have a point? Come on, proper creatures like unicorns, not monsters. That's the quote. Hagrid hasn't really ever taken into account the. Uh, 
strictly taken into account the educational merit of his his beings. He does what he wants. He does creatures he thinks are interesting. And there is something to be said about a teacher having passion because you really think that you would learn a lot about hippogriffs if they had spent more time with them. Um, but, you know, the fact that the students, he didn't make a point to endear any of the students to the creatures, not even their own course books for crying out loud, um, shows that there might be something to be said about Grubbly Plank and her choosing, even though it isolated the, all the boys, and I'm not okay with that, um, <laughs> you know, in this lesson. Uh, the fact that she chose a proper creature. And unicorns, by the way, are supposed to be really hard to catch. So, and they stay away from humans, according to the actual Fantastic Beast book. So, it's pretty impressive that this last-minute teacher, who may not have even been on campus, managed to get a unicorn. Uh, maybe yeah. she flew in on it. But at the same time, he, Hagrid may have wanted to have continued with hippogriffs, but because of the Draco incident... Yeah. He may not have been allowed to. Yeah, I, I, well, I, we see, we see I, how his confidence wanes, and the class just tanks because of well, it. Well, he was, he was really belittled and and berated because of this honestly fake incident that happened. That of course it's going to shake his confidence and everything. Well, and you, and and on top of this, like, n no, I Hagrid may have had good intentions. It's just. Especially in that third year, he really wasn't able to um, continue with them because because of Draco and and Lucius. He he really got hurt and skewed by it. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point to bring up. Just because that was an extreme situation, because like the the school board got involved, and it ended up being a thing that like that situation ended up being drawn out for like an entire year. So of course Hagrid wasn't going to do anything riskier than. Like, I'm sure he was afraid to do anything after that point. But okay, this year, so. Michael, though, with the Scroots this year, like, okay, they may show up in the third task. I'd forgotten that, actually. <laughs> um, so maybe it was about the third task this whole time, this whole year. But they're frankly dangerous creatures that, you know, I think the reason that Rita Skeeter's article affects so many on the school is because there's little bits in there where you're like, shouldn't things be different with Hagrid anyway? You know, people won't subscribe to her obvious bashing of half-breeds because of half-breeds. But they all agree that there are better. You See, know, I ways and, of and again, that I would just go back to saying that if Grubbly Plank and Hagrid taught together, because <laughs> I think the thing is that at least Grubbly Plank would consider the safety precautions of her. Hagrid just jumps into. Hagrid has great ideas, and he has great. Um, he, I do think that I think it is really sweet in book three when Malfoy's like, what is the deal with these books? And Hagrid's like, well, he thought they were funny. And I'm like, oh, he genuinely thought that that was like a good engage. <laughs> like he genuinely thought that was a clever, engaging way to get his students interested in his topic. And so I do think Hagrid has a gr great idea as how to be interactive with his lessons and how to pull students in and really be a part of the, that class. But at the same time, I think Grubbly Plank has the level-headedness to say, well, let's do this safely and with it's, sense. <laughs> I agree. Like, like Hagrid is still, at, at certain instances, still a student mentally. Yes. Where he's he has really great ideas. He just needs to hone his skills and, and his thoughts down to a certain topic and idea. And, to, and, like and, and, and Grubbly Plank would have been awesome to help him with that had they been... Um, 
teaching together. But at the same time, like, I, I totally agree with you, with you, Michael, but I feel like Hagger would have been so TO'd that he had to teach with someone else. Probably. That I feel like he would have just thrown his hands up in the air and been like, no, I'm not doing this. I don't know. They could learn a lot. You definitely see the value in something like that. And that's kind of cool, the fact that we've, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we have this opponent to Hagrid, you know, somebody else, a different way of doing the same class. Um, and that's, you know, basically what Parvati says. Um, now, uh, when Parvati makes that comment, Harry gets a little defensive. He says, well, what would Hagrid do? Um, and she says, well, he could still retain his job as gamekeeper. Um, and that's true. He does have two jobs, so he doesn't need to be a teacher. It's just kind of, that's just something that was given to him by Dumbledore, which is nice. Um, but Hermione leaving the class says that was a really good lesson. Uh, I didn't know half those things about unicorns that she taught him. So apparently they really did learn a lot. If Hermione doesn't know half the stuff about unicorns and come on, I mean, she reads a lot. Uh, you gotta, you know, see that there's value in Grubbly Plank's, uh, teaching style. Which again, um, Eric, you know, that brings up our issue with you and me being at the very edge of the paddock, trying to hear everything Grubbly Plank is saying. Well, she's talking. I'm sure if it weren't for the scuffle between <laughs> Malfoy and Harry, we'd be able to hear just fine. I don't um, know. I still would yeah, like to. Yeah, it's that convenient distance. <laughs> it's the convenient distance because Grubbly Plank isn't able to really pay attention to the scuffle. Yeah. That's obviously occurring that has to occur for this chapter to exist. But at the same time, you get the sense that some boys, you know, it's a safe, it's a, it's a distance where they still could learn something from. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she totally favored the girls on this one. So yeah, whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, as soon as Hermione starts raving about <laughs> how good the class was, Ron shoves the newspaper under her, uh, in, in, in front of her. Um, and she reads it immediately and is just as shocked as Harry and Ron are. And, uh, you know, interestingly, the biggest question here is how Rita got this information about Hagrid's parents and they wonder Hagrid's mother. And they, you know, they really wonder how she's going around hearing this. And maybe she overheard it. Maybe she was there overhearing the same exact conversation that that Harry and Ron hint hint uh, heard. And, you know, they don't know how she's doing it, if it's true, if she's got an invisibility cloak. But. You know, this is just more of those little hints where J.K. Rowling gets to throw a few, you know, phrases around, like hiding in bushes. Um, we don't know how real they really were, how true they were until the end. No, oh, yeah, this is kind of like this. I'd say this is one of those uh, obligatory genius moments, cat, if you will. Because um, it's it, like the fact that we've gotten so much about the Animagus stuff in the previous book, but somehow we don't even think of that. And the characters don't even think of that. Um, Like, they don't even suspect that, which should be a more obvious answer, really, at this point than an invisibility cloak. Um, Mm. And we've just had a whole book full of it. But our minds don't jump to that. So it is... You know, does Harry still have the Marauder's Map at this point in the book? Yeah. Yeah, of course he he does. Because because she would show up under... Even if she were an Animagus... Even if she were under the yeah, she would show code, up as Rita Skeeter. Yeah, she would show up. So if we if he if Harry if book four Harry took a leaf out of book six Harry's book and actually went and uh, you know followed the map as closely as he did when he was trying to find out where Draco was going all that time, uh, he would very easily be able to see Rita Skeeter pretty much at all times, and he would have uncovered the mystery. 
but as much but as we all not. love Harry, he is not that forward thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's just got other things to worry about, like this darn egg. True that. Um, so the thing about the egg, there's an upcoming uh, Hogsmeade weekend, um, and Hagrid has not been showing up to class for a week or two. They went to his hut. They stood outside for 10 minutes. He wouldn't open the door. So that's really the end of that conversation. But rather than staying in his dorm and figuring out the mystery of the egg, Harry decides that he wants to go to Hogsmeade um, because, hey, maybe he'll bump into Hagrid. Um, basically, when Hermione asks, he, he, he tells her, I'm pretty sure I'm mostly there on the egg. And she believes him and says, oh, it's really wonderful that you're almost on your way. So when they do go down to Hogsmeade, though, guys, I think they run into somebody who does know what the egg is all about. Because they run across Victor Crumb, who's in a swimsuit in January, <laughs> uh, basically gets up on top of, he's, he's on the uh, ship, the Durmstrang ship, and he dives into the lake. Now, is he just going for a swim because it's warm in January to him? Or do you guys think that he has already cracked the mystery by this point? Oh, he knows. Yeah, he knows. That's... I think he knows only because when I was reading this, I was very, I wanted to to look to see if he had the egg with him, because maybe he was also trying to figure it out, but he definitely doesn't, and and I thought that was kind of odd. No, he's I, I think... Testing, I, he's I, maybe exercising. I think, yeah, I think or, he's or, training to swim in the lake. Well, if he's practicing his transfiguring himself into a shark, shouldn't he have a buddy? Because couldn't that go dastardly wrong when he's underwater... If he doesn't successfully complete gills he, and like dies, see, I think he. So. I don't think he was even doing that. I literally think he was just practicing swimming in the lake. Like I don't think he yeah. thought to do transfiguration. He was doing a be- polar bear swim. Well, then his his <laughs> transfiguration ends up being botched anyway. Um, it does. So, oh, that's a good point. So he's he's not he's probably not practicing that. So hmm. <laughs> yeah, polar bear swim. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, well, in Hogsmeade, they do not run across Hagrid, uh, but they do, however, see Ludo Bagman, who is in the Three Broomsticks, and there are some shady, shady goblins who are around his table, and they have their arms crossed, and they look menacing. Uh, it's a little, it doesn't bode well for, for Bagman here, and, um, seeing Harry, Ludo comes over, um, pretends to be like you know greeting an old friend to get away from the clearly to get away from the goblins um and he kind of stalls for time he he starts by congratulating harry on his success in the first task and harry just comes right out and asks him what are the goblins for now we don't know this at this point if it's true or not the story that ludo gives but he says that uh barty crouch has disappeared barty crouch senior percy's boss has been absent for weeks at the ministry um, apparently Percy is getting his work instructions via Owl, and they're really trying to keep it under wraps, uh, basically by Rita Skeeter, um, who would get a hold of a story like this and bring up Bertha Jorkins again and really turn it into a huge uh, debacle. But uh, Bagman says that the goblins are looking for Crouch. I think we know that's a lie. Oh, yeah, that's definitely. And, and- but the story that But the story that Crouch is missing... Is true, right? Yes. Yeah. He's, I, okay. I wish that Rita had actually found out because, I mean, not that I'm like a giant fan of Crouch, but I feel like his demise 
is so depressing. And also, I feel like it would have put, you know, it would have, Percy would have gotten a swift kick in the butt, basically. And maybe he would have woken up and he wouldn't have wasted so many years not talking to his family. It is, yeah, it is funny that the, the one thing Rita doesn't get a hold of is probably the biggest story that could have changed a lot of things here. A lot of things, a yeah. A lot of things, yeah. For a lot of people. Well, she's too busy playing dirty, you know, in the dirt with children. See? She's fun- so that's what would like, have happened if she was a true journalist. <laughs> could have made a difference. Yeah. yeah, that's a fair enough point. Um, now, we do get a little bit more about Bertha Jorkins, though. Interestingly enough, Bagman seems to want to talk about everything except the trouble that he himself is in. <laughs> with these goblins he he mentions that uh Jer- bertha actually was between two houses when she disappeared she was visiting her cousin i think it is um in albania and she was going to her aunt's house when she disappeared so this is far more specificity than i ever expected to find i forgot it was in this book the fact that she's actually just going between like they can probably figure out what road she was taken from uh when she ran into uh, Wormtail, as we know, that happened. Right. Um, well, and so, of course, the sad part is, is that Ludo didn't feel the need to do anything about it until now. So, of course, this information is completely useless to the Ministry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he really could have sent. Uh, well, I mean, sure, they that that sort of thing would have come out uh, within the first couple of days of investigation. Um, yeah because you know, if she's there to visit family they would know well she visited me oh but she didn't visit me clearly that you know and she was going to see you next that's you know gives you a time and date basically um for her disappearance so anyway um a little bit of that a little bit of uh pulling the uh, lamp over i don't even know what i'm trying to say harry's eyes um there's another thing that happens which is that uh, bagman offers to cheat he offers to give harry a clue and my question here, Harry doesn't accept, but there's a really interesting dialogue. Harry does what is right. Uh, Bagman claims to want the best for Hogwarts. And Harry asks him, well, did you give Cedric this opportunity or advice? And Bagman, the smallest of frowns, creases upon his face. So we show that it is favoritism, but I kind of wonder if it's not something more. Does Bagman want something from Harry? And if Harry were to accept Ludo's advice... Would he be asking for a favor from Harry, like help get me rid of these goblins, or no, no, you know, something like that? Like I thought, it was that Ludo bet on Harry to win the tournament. He did, right? And that's- yeah. So is it just his gambling addiction, which we've seen is crippling enough? Oh yeah, I think yeah, so. Because yeah. I mean, Ludo being the kind of better, the kind of gambler he is, he would not bet on Cedric to win because of the reputation of Hufflepuff. Um, which you know, to his discredit, <laughs> right? Because. Cedric does very well in the tournament. Um, but yeah, no, it's because he bet on Harry to win and the goblins are like, and, and of course the goblins, he he already owes them money. So he's hoping he's actually going to win that money he's bet. Um, so he will cheat if he has to. See, that's fascinating that it really just is always about gambling for, for Bagman. You know, I, I think that's really a, a, an adequate way of portraying an addict. Oh yeah. Um, you know, in the, in these books that it's really all you think about. And you'll compromise what used to be your own morals. Uh, when Harry, you know, returns to the table with Hermione and Ron and tells Hermione, hey, you know, you want to offer to keep, give me some help. She is shocked that the head of his department, especially a judge of the tournament, would offer to do that. But it shows how deep 
in in you know debt or whatever else you want. <laughs> it's a great red herring too because it's it throws us off the trail of it, like really being concerned about Crouch Senior like to to a horrible extent because Ludo is the Ludo's the character that shows up here and goes, "Oh, it's not a problem. Nothing's a problem at all." So then Harry doesn't think about it and therefore we don't. Um when really Ludo's screwing up everything that we're supposed to be figuring out right now. Um right. so cuz he just passes it off as unimportant. So it's 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 not only a great commentary on the addiction of gambling but also Ludo serves as the major red herring in this story, which is I think why sadly why he's cut out of the movie. Um because he's just a yeah. he's a he's he's just a lead, a, a a fake lead. Well, yeah, and they change it. I mean, I don't want to say they change it a lot, but they change it enough in the film where yeah, they just there's no well, point having him there. all of this stuff is considered secondary in the movie because this whole chapter isn't in the movie. Right, right, exactly. So, and this is such a cool chapter. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great chapter as far as yeah. developing characters and backstory and getting us, you know, definitely building up the the what's currently the backseat mystery that's going to come forward later. Um, but of course, since Goblet of Fire has no subtlety as a film, that wasn't important. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Well... Now, who should show up? I mean, Bagman's already in uh, big deep with his uh, collectors or debtors or whoever it is. Um, Fred and George show up, and we know that they've been riding to Bagman <laughs> uh, since the since the Quidditch World Cup because they want to get their real money that that he owes them. Uh, they show up, and yeah, yes. Uh, well, we don't know that yet. Um, oh, not yet. As okay, no. As as readers, so, we don't know that. We think that Bagman's excuse is actually the genuine reason right now oh i see okay well fred and george show up <laughs> they offer to buy him a drink um he declines that's that's really the end of that story uh clearly he doesn't want to be bothered by yet more people he owes money to it's it's a sympathetic thing harry and ron do spe- or and hermione speculate a little bit about what the goblins wanted with crouch um and Ron gets on Hermione's case and says, what are you going to start, Spug now or S-P-U-G? Society for the Protection of Ugly. I loved that just because it spelled pug. I thought that was oh, so pug. funny. Oh, pug. You thought of a cute little pug. Spug. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty funny. Goblins, goblins are the farthest thing from cute. And if Harry and Ron had been paying attention in Professor Binz's class, they would know all about the rebellions and the fact that goblins really actually don't need humans to do actually anything for them. Yeah, that's a, this is a great little bit of information drop for later as far as like getting a sense of what the goblins are like. So, cuz of course Agreed, and it's so very nonchalant yeah. and thrown away that like it it is very perfectly placed. Another mm-hmm. OGM. Oh, definitely. Well, cuz yes. it's it's so nice because in this situation it just it doesn't even feel out of place. It feels like Hermione's just kind of serving to do some really nice extra world building. Because, you know, saying something like that, she didn't have to say that, but it really does make the world feel more full and complete. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and, it, and it back references things because we know that um, Binz has talked about the Goblin Rebellions before. And then, of course, it's all he talks about it's it, And then, of course, it ends up being a major reference for Deathly Hallows. So, yeah, no, it is. It is a very clever, just little drop of information. Mm. Little drop of dew on the morning. <laughs> but, um I don't know where that came from. Anyway, <laughs> it was very quickly, nice. <laughs> quick, quickly, the mood changes. Um, this is the reason to read this chapter. Rita Skeeter comes in 
Um, Wearing banana yellow very, robes, nonetheless, might I add. Yes, banana yellow with with hot pink nails. Shocking pink, yep. Yeah, that's... Sh- shocking, shocking pink nails. And with her is her photographer, Bozo, who <laughs> I thought was a complete movieism. Um, but No, that's his, that's his name. <laughs> yeah, he's totally... He's there, okay? Paunchy, everything. Um, anyway, he, he's there. She's looking very satisfied. She had actually just run into uh, Bagman... Uh, outside so we didn't see it happen but she's coming in she's talking to bozo about it um about how he made some excuse uh and he never told the truth this that the other thing harry who look they didn't find hagrid they still haven't seen him since this all came out lets the emotions you know go he says trying to ruin someone else's life (laughs) and now what happens is obviously an exchange uh, between each of them, you know, the trio, really mm-hmm. Harry and then really Hermione, you know, to Rita Skeeter. But something happens in the, in the, the three broomsticks, which is that not only does the place go silent, but people seem to genuinely be hearing and feeling everything that Harry and, and, and Hermione and, and all them are feeling. And I, I, I don't think it's a stretch. I mean, Rosemary overflows a goblet that she's pouring, you know, which if you're bark, you, you never do that because that's a waste of money. But people are really intent on Harry handing um, Skeeter her ass. <laughs> but it doesn't quite get to that, um, necessarily. He does say, get some digs in. He says, I wouldn't go near you with the 10-foot broomstick. Would you go and do that to Hagrid for? Who cares if he's a half-giant? There's nothing wrong with him. Um, you know, Rita really tries to spin it her way and say, well, let's talk about this. Why don't you give me an interview and we'll talk about Hagrid from your perspective. You know, she doesn't admit defeat. To her credit, she is just as horrible person as ever. Um, so Hermione stood up. This is what a uh, quote from the book. Butterbeer clutched in her hand as though it were a grenade. Um, <laughs> I love it. This shows, love it. This, shows you, this shows you the tension that's in this room right now. Um, and she accuses Rita of, you know, doing anything for a story and that she'll go after anyone, even Ludo Bagman. You know, she she comes in and she's like, oh, we should do a story on Bagman. We can, you know, say this and that and the other thing. Now, Rita does retort. She says, I know things about Ludo Bagman that will make your hair curl. Um, not that it needs it, but that may be a reference to actual misdeeds by Bagman in the past. What do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. Because he I has this so. whole backstory that we've talked about before that, you know, with the Death Eaters and the Ministry and all of that jazz. So I definitely think that you know, she thinks that she knows things. Maybe they aren't true things. Maybe they are true things. I mean, we never really learn, but um, mm-hmm. I think that she probably knows a lot more secrets than uh, even she puts out into the world. See, that's shocking because you'd think she'd put out everything, <laughs> you know, but she's waiting for a... I don't know. Some a, some secrets uh, could You just have to ruin, learn how could, to... You have to know how to... Sp- I mean... Know when to spin. Yeah, I think, I think she's not afraid to hurt people and to say things that are scandalous. But I think that she's not one to screw people over who are in power, and she's well, not gonna she's not gonna put something out there that is going to reflect negatively on her or her career. Well, and I think too that she's you know for all of her faults and horribleness, Rita's she's smart, she and is. I'm sure if she had good information, she would just. Especially if it was on somebody big, she would just wait for the right moment to drop it. 
Um, yeah. She's not going to just report on Bagman just because. Right. Because um, it, it has to have some benefit to her. I mean, she she lies. The thing about that's interesting about that in, in regards to this particular incident is she doesn't target Hermione right She doesn't get to Hermione right away. She takes her time. She gets what she feels is the best information possible on her to make up a story. She doesn't do it right away, though, because it's after the second task. Right. Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, they're walking away from Hogsmeade, though, or walk, they walk out, is, is what happens here. Um, the trio walks out. Ron warns Hermione. He says, she's going to be after you. And Hermione's response is, who cares? Hermione's response is, my parents don't read the prophet. Like, she, she can have nothing on me. She can't, you know. Hermione doesn't know, of course, you know, how terrible Rita really is. But I think really it's a win for the trio, you know, in this chapter, the fact that they stood up for their friend at this crucial moment um, and kind of made Rita look really bad. Even though she handled it smarter than you would hope, you know, the fact that everybody was watching this argument, it's not just, oh, it's drama, we have to watch it. I really felt like, you know, certain people in that room would have agreed with her and maybe i'm just reading into it too much because at the end of the chapter we get another instance of that but I'll, I'll no no i think you're right i think that probably most people in the wizarding world have wanted to say those things to rita at some point and they're listening because it's like oh somebody's actually speaking their mind you know and yeah add to that it's harry potter right exactly <laughs> you know? exactly but so. but yeah they she does do this horrible thing and you know another point about this is like i wanted to say if you view Rita Skeeter as like J.K. Rowling's opinion on all media or press or, you know, Rita can write these scathing things about people that are so terrible and, and immature in a way. Um, but she gets away with it. You know, the world has created her. She is not some random, you know, That's person. So who, true. The fact that she is able to get away with doing what she's doing the fact that even some people read her work and that it's so prominently featured in the Daily Prophet, um, you know, is really a comment on the wider world that we're meant to think about. So anyway, they resolve to go try Hagrid's door once again. And this, they walk straight from Hogsmeade. They're like so upset that they just ran into Rita Skeeter. They're going to go and demand that Hagrid uh, answer the door and, and, and speak to them. So they're all banging on the door and uh, Hermione shouts, we know you're in there. Nobody cares if your mom was a giantess. You can't let that foul Skeeter woman do this to you. You're just being... And then the door opens. Now, is this the first time... Kat, you have to tell me. Is this the first time in the series, because you've, you've been with this show <laughs> since the beginning, that Dumbledore has opened a door in front of... <laughs> in front of the trio? Has, is this Dumbledore opening the Dumbledore? It is Dumbledore opening the Dumbledore. Is it the first time... I don't think so, but I'm pretty sure he opens a door in Prisoner. Um, ah. But 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 yes, this is a token moment for the show. It's very a token special. moment for this show. Dumbledore opens a door. Yep, very special. Of course, the tagline for this show is "Open the Dumbledore." So Dumbledore's with Hagrid. See how cool is this? Now, say what you want about Dumbledore, although it better all be good, um, or he'll break your kneecaps. Um, he, <laughs> he he was he was. Um, you know, really thrown under the bus. We may have underscored it or not underscored it at this point, but Dumbledore was as much, you know, called into question in a way as was Hagrid in this article, because it really is about how Dumbledore allows Hagrid to continue on. Not only is Hagrid brutal because he's a giant and giants are brutal, but Dumbledore allows this to happen. You know, just like Mad-Eye Moody, Dumbledore's crazy. So 
Dumbledore really did get thrown under the bus a little bit too in this article. And the fact that he is there, you know, in Hagrid's cabin comforting him, there's, you know, huge things of tea. And it's really all about, you know, the, the last part of this chapter is really all about convincing Hagrid that he can and must go back to work. Um, is really just, it's a character moment for Dumbledore because we see how kind he is. Also, you know, that's just, that's just Dumbledore. Like, he is selfless. He is doing what he needs to he's also not phased by what rita said um and and this is the you know he realizes that there may be repercussions from it obviously but if anything the response that he's been getting is good and this is the thing you know jumping ahead a couple sentences but basically he tells hagrid that he has received letters countless letters he says from adults who remember hagrid who went to hogwarts and said, and actually in these letters saying that if Dumbledore sacks Hagrid, they would be upset, that they would have something to say about it. The, um, yeah, no, this is a really, I really like this moment because it's, it, and you know, we'll get into this a little more in just a bit, but it's it's really nice to see that Dumbledore is a champion at, at empathizing um, and really, you know, it just making people feel better. He's really, he is really good at that. Cause I, I, I love the, I love the quote you put here, Eric, um, where he says, really Hagrid, if you were holding out for universal popularity, I'm afraid you'll be in this cabin for a very long time. Um, I mean, I, 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 I kind of want to like pull that and use that in future because that was a great, that's a lovely quote. Um, mm-hmm. I, that I past self me would have, could have really used that quote. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Like that's the type of quote you you our generation will teach their children. Yes. Yeah. It's like a better, more Dumbledorean version of "You can't please everybody." Yes. Yes. But it's said so eloquently, and it, it's so clear. It's it's a it's just a very lovely way of of phrasing that. Um, well, on the other hand, half of that quote. I mean, maybe the reason that this article by Rita Skeeter doesn't affect him as much is because he says, "Not a week has passed since I became headmaster of this school that I haven't had an owl." From somebody complaining about how I run it. Well, and it's been implied as well that uh, he implies that when he meets Rita, when he sees her at the at the wand ceremony, and he's and he's he says something about like she called him like a dingbat or something like that in a previous <laughs> article, <laughs> and and so it's implied that they've had quite a relationship as far as how sh- what she's written about him. Um, so I think that he's probably. I could see Dumbledore initially being pretty bothered by it, but then eventually just being like, oh, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's just from time. Yeah, well, talking about name-calling, though, I mean, Harry calls her a cow. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, I it's love weird. that moment. I, that's yeah. awesome, because he's like, she's such a cow, sorry. <laughs> and then he's like, I have gone temporarily, temporarily deaf. Temporarily deaf. <laughs> see, that, that also, I was going to say this, like, this is one of my favorite Dumbledore chapters in the series because he's like fun Grandpa Dumbledore where he's like, ah, yes, children, you're you're exactly right. And like, like not exactly right, but like he's, he's fun and whimsical and he kind of lets them do their own thing because he knows they're on the right path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're, they're just trying to be, whether they know it or not, they're trying to be good kids. They're, they're, just still kids at this point where they're like Hagrid this is ridiculous and I don't know I, I just this he is, knows it'll help his case too he's like yes oh. exactly like yeah. the voice of children 
is one of the most resounding. Mm-hmm. So he's like, let them speak. Even one of the first things they say, we still want to know you. Hagrid's like, you still want to know me? I mean, maybe maybe that again points to just how feared giants really are. And how, I mean, Lupin, for instance, resigned. No. Well, Lupin I don't resigned. Think, I don't think it speaks to, to the fear of giants. I think it kind of speaks to the um, morale and self-esteem of Hagrid. I don't know though. Because I think it more. It, when you think I think about, it speaks more to Hagrid. When you think about Ron's reaction, though, Ron being somebody who's been in the Wizarding world a long time, and he freaking flips when he finds out that Hagrid's a giant, a half giant. Like that's that's a big deal. I mean, Hermione, I think, has the more logical reaction, which is like, "Well, duh." How did you all not know? But even Malfoy's yeah. like, I thought he just swallowed some Skelligro. <laughs> so it should but, be obvious. But, but Ron has been held up as kind of an ignorant. Um, he's pretty ignorant. That's true. No, I see. Pure, I don't. Not, think he's so, not pure. Is I, he pure blood? I, I'm going to raise my hand and say this? that that's a movieism. I think that's something we get from the. movie. No, no. I honestly, honestly I, thought because Ron, I could be wrong, but I thought I thought J.K. Rowling said Ron is the poster child. Is is He's kind of like a Draco in the sense that, like, he's been taught a certain way, and deviating from that way is like a WTF moment, where it's he like... He presents the views of wizarding, of, yeah. like, most, of general, because he's been yeah. raised in the wizarding family. But yeah, no, I, I agree with yeah. I agree with Gina. Most, it most it wizard kids right. are taught, like, half giants, or, or all giant, giants, um, I'm sorry, like, like half-breed giants, or full-on giant is is very bad very scary not not a good person not a good friend to be around and so when ron finds out he's like oh my god what have i been doing with my life yeah no Um, that i think that's something i should have clarified but i think that's what you guys were getting at was what i meant was is that ron ron is ignorant but he's in he's in the same camp of ignorance as the entire as the majority of the wizarding world like he's yeah he's but he's not i mean what what he's saying is a like the fact that he ron flips i do think is a reflection of what most wizards would think um in this situation so i i don't necessarily think this is a reflection just of Hag. i do think hagrid's lack of confidence is a major part of it because i could see a, another character with more confidence being able to be like well, you know, who cares? I'm still going to go forward and be a teacher, especially with the support from somebody like Dumbledore. But I do think that the reaction and Hagrid's uh, Hagrid's feelings towards with the reaction towards him, I think is fair. And I think it's uh, I think it's expected for what the wizarding world would think. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, here's another question I wanted to ask. Shouldn't Hagrid really just suck it up and get over it? At this point, yes. like Hagrid, we see that Hagrid is such a mess, an emotional mess. And I want to, I don't want to criticize the character. We know that it was a very bad thing that happened to Prisoner of Azkaban, but yet again, this thing happens that means Hagrid is not only not able to function as a teacher. He's not coming out of his house. He's, I'm surprised he's not drunk like they find him, you know, in previous books or later. Like he doesn't know how to take care of himself. He is a big slopper, sloppy, you know, sopping mess. And, you know, should he not have the personal fortitude? Dumbledore has been at his back since that second, since that third year of, of school. We found this, we, it's reiterated at the end of this chapter that Dumbledore's always had his back. 
And, you know, it's been over a week now. Shouldn't Hagrid really be getting back to Clay? Like, shouldn't he really have the internal confidence to, you know, keep going and not be such a wreck all the time when, when something like this happens? You'd think, but when you're so fragile, like, no, it, it's understandable that, like, something pretty devastating happens to him, like... Well, he's like the least likely to like who's targeting him. He wouldn't hurt a soul, you know. So I think it's he that. wouldn't, th- but he's still someone is saying he would. Yeah, and that's upsetting. Well, and to yeah, him. Th- this goes back, and you know, the comparison that Hermione makes is perfect about werewolves. You could say the same thing about Lupin. Um, well, Lupin does resign when it's found out he that does. he is a werewolf. Well, he I resigns. Mean, that's, that's really but- the thing you got to look at is comparing werewolves and giants the way... I mean, Hermione did it in this chapter, but Lupin, when people find out, he resigns because people... He says, well, teachers wouldn't want their thing to be... Maybe it's just a matter of keeping the curse active, you know, on D.A.D. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's but, 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 I mean, look at what Hagrid did. Dumbledore tells him, I refuse to accept your resignation. Um, P.S., you weren't... You aren't the D.A.D. teacher, so I can say that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it really is, again, it goes back to... That he's being targeted and being called this horrible person because of his lineage, something he can't change. It's out of the blue. Nobody knows how she got that information. Um, so it's still, you feel a little betrayed. You feel a little shocked. You're completely confused about the whole situation. It's very mysterious. And then for giants to be such a terrible race that you're somehow outed like it's some kind of dirty secret, you know, it really comes down to what, you know, is said at the end of this chapter which Hagrid is a half-breed and Dumbledore has always been the champion of the ha- of the half-blood, half-breed of these people who may not have come from the most respectable background. And this is right out of the words of, of Hagrid himself when he, you know, he, Dumbledore leaves, he shows them the picture of his dad uh, and him and he says to Harry, you've got to win this tournament, Harry. You've got to win it. For me... For half-bloods, you know, for for all of us, because you have to prove that that we can be something great. And he really sees it as this cause where Rita Skeeter has said that's his weakness. He he doesn't come from this pure-blood family. He's half-giant for crying out loud. You're a terrible person. He'll never get anywhere. Hagrid feels like Harry is somehow the representation of all of this evil stuff that, that Skeeter is, is flinging for him to somehow represent the underdog in this whole situation. So the complex tournament already got, or just got a little bit more complicated. But that concludes guys, our discussion of chapter 24, Rita Skeeter scoop, Goblet of Fire. Okay. So this week, um, the podcast question of the week falls on my shoulders. And I want to touch on something that, um, is a conversation that I feel like we've probably all had at one point. I know we've discussed it on the show many a times. Gina has said she's discussed it with her friends. So let's go. So in this chapter, obviously, we know that we learn a lot about Hagrid, uh, his backstory, and even bits about his parents. So we have a question about that. We want to expand on Hagrid's world a little bit here. So we're wondering about Hagrid's parents and how they came together. What attracted them to each other? You know, his father is a wizard. His mother's a giantess. How did they meet? Were they in love? Or was it, you know, a chance encounter? Um, and, of course, the, uh, the piece de resistance. How did Hagrid come to be? Now, 
Let's keep it PG because this is a family show. Do you think a goat was involved? Oh, God. Jeez. That, those comments, not PG, okay? Let's keep it, um, you know, um, Sheldon-esque, very scientific. Ooh. Um, oh, no, no, no. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> but tell us what you think. We really want to know more what you think about Hagrid's parents and uh, how that happened. I want this on Pottermore. That would be really great. Because Joe would treat it. Joe would treat it well. I think she would too. Um, maybe once she listens to this episode and listens to the next episode, because we know <laughs> she listens, like Avi. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it will inspire her to put it on. You know, put it on Pottermore. So, tell us what you think but about. But in the meantime, Hagrid. it's our before Joe shoots it down. All of our theories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's we ours. Get to talk about. And so, of course, talk about it. Gina is gonna go have all of her friends. Get bring us some input on this, right, Gina? <laughs> you make my friends sound so crazy. I'm, I'm, I will. You're the other one saying I have a Facebook group about things just like this. <laughs> no, I don't. But no, we have this is not the topic of our. But we appreciate group. we appreciate that kind of enthusiasm, Gina. And of course, we thank you for coming on the show for this episode. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's been a good one. It's been a long episode, guys, but I think it's been really great. Well, There's some good conversation in here. Now, so to find out how you, can, uh, the listener, can be on our show, just head over to our website uh, and click on the Be On The Show page at alohamora.mugglenet.com. We do ask or we require that you have the appropriate audio equipment. Um, and in addition to that, we are actually speaking of audio equipment. We are taking your audio questions for upcoming episodes. This is a big change, guys. This is, uh, sort of different to what we've been doing, where we are reactionary, um, you know, accepting only comments for previous chapters. We are now accepting questions for upcoming chapters as well. Kat, you want to explain a little bit more about how this works? Yeah, what we're going to do is we want your audio questions. So if you're reading, you know, next week's chapter, prepping for the episode, and you're like, man, I really want them to talk about this. I have an amazing question for them. We need you to leave us a voicemail at our voicemail, which is 206-GO-ALBUS, 206-462-5287, or at Audioboo, which is on our site, alohamora.mugglenet.com. And we may potentially play your question on the show and talk about it. We're only going to do one per episode um, because we really want it to be, you know, original content and, you know, our opinions. So yeah, but we'll do it during what during the chapter discussion, right? right during the chapter discussion for that particular episode. And so okay, that'll just, make sure that we don't forget about things like read a Skeeter beetle. So <laughs> right but yeah but like you know make but ask it... something more in depth than that yes that that was my point so yeah that's um starting next show so as soon as you listen to this and you've read the chapter go read the next chapter and send us in your questions and remember it's only audio questions so mm -hmm. send us in a voicemail or an audio boo there you go yes and of course uh be sure to check out the alohomora store which is located uh, via our website, alohamora.com. There are there are a lot of products to choose from, including T-shirts, both short and long sleeve. Now, tote bags, sweatshirts, flip flops, water bottles, travel mugs, and more coming soon. We have new designs, including Mandrake Liberation Front and Desk Pig, running gags themes, uh, show host shirts themes, uh, comments, taglines, phrases, everything. 
everything you could possibly imagine, over 80 products to choose from, and ringtones available all at the Alohomora store. We also have an Alohomora app, which is available seemingly worldwide, as we always say. Prices vary. Uh, the app includes transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and more. You never know, possibly a party in the Hufflepuff common room. So make sure and check that out. But for this episode, after Dumbledore so kindly opened the Dumbledore, we are going to close the Dumbledore on this episode. I am Michael Harley. I am Eric Skull. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> <laughs> that cat is a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> it's one in the morning <laughs> and i'm cat miller thanks for listening to episode 62 of alohomora i'm not sure are we opening or closing the double door you just said close the double door <laughs> open it back up and close it again close the dumbledore open the dumbledore This is episode 62 of Alohomora for December 21st, 2012. Uh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I was thinking is that was the Mayan uh, doomsday, right? Wasn't it? December 21st, 2012? No, so it's been no, a year. It We've made 12th. it one year. <laughs> it's been a year, guys. Uh, no, it wasn't the 12th. It was the tw- it was it was 12 21 12. Either way. It, no, sorry, it was 12 21 12. You can look this up. But uh, we survived, guys. We are here. Let me redo that. <laughs> Open the Dumbledore. And then close it immediately. <laughs> Slam it in Who my face. That's how window. I like it. <laughs>